the place, especially in the Gospels, but now we're stepping outside of the Gospels, and uh, we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture, Galatians 2.20, but we want to start verse 16 and work our way down, uh, thinking about the crucified life of a disciple. Galatians 2, starting in verse 16. I'll give you a minute to get there, and... Uh, Really enjoying the weather, glad that it's fall finally, and uh, yesterday was the first day of fall, and I got to see some of the changes of the weather. In fact, uh, Elijah's been out collecting leaves, saying, look at all these colors, Mommy, you know, the red, the yellows, and all that. He said, we still got more to come, and uh, so anyway, uh, but it is, it is good to have some real fall weather. Galatians chapter 2, again, starting in verse 16. The Bible says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we believe in Jesus Christ, we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law should no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is there therefore, is therefore Christ a minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. If I through the law am dead to the law, then I might live unto God. Here, here's our text. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the, come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I know we had just prayed, but let me pray again, and then uh, we'll get into the lesson. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you just give me wisdom and grace as I uh, have been preparing for the lesson for this morning, and I pray that you help me to communicate it effectively. Lord, may you just uh, reach down, minister to our hearts, meet our every need. Uh, Lord, you know what those needs are, and I pray that we just... Uh, Guide us now and comfort our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. One day, George Mueller, he was asking, he was being asked about the uh, reason why it seems like he's so successful, why he's so spiritually powerful, I guess, as maybe the phrase they might have used, and uh, why his prayers always seem to be answered, why it seems he was able to maintain his control in his life. Or, Things like this, you know, things to do with the Christian life. And, and George Mueller said this, he says, years ago, George Mueller died. And that was a decision that he made that uh, when he was saved by the grace of God, that old life that he used to live, he was dead to that old life, and he was no longer living that old life. He was living a, a new life. And when we look at the book of Galatians here, we realize that uh, this is written to who? Christians, Right? It's written to Christians. These are the same ones that Paul would say, you know, so why, why are you trying to go back underneath of the law? Were you made just by the works of the law? Was the law what, what saved you? Was the law what made you perfect? And he points out, no, the law couldn't save you. It couldn't make you perfect. The law, actually, what it did was it condemned you. So you were made, per it was the spirit that comes and indwells every single believer. That's, that's what made the difference. And Paul is dealing with these issues of those who have been born again. Yes, they have been saved by the grace of God. And yet they're trying to go back and live the, the old life that they used to live. As Jewish people going back underneath of the law and trying to do what they used to always do. And, and Paul says, no, wait, time out. This is not going to work. 
This, this is not what God saved you for so that you can go back underneath of the law. Once again, you have been set free from that bondage. He's writing to people who ought to have known better. We find earlier on, as we, and I'll get into the context in just a little bit, but you look at what comes beforehand where, where there was a guy, a famous guy by the name of Peter, right? Peter, the one who stood up at Pentecost and preached the gospel when people got saved by the grace of God, 3,000. The guy that when he would walk through the streets and people just wanted to stand underneath of his shadow so that they might be healed, that guy. And yet he, is, he is, has this confusion in his mind, whereas when he would come into the, the place, the churches of Galatia, he would act just, you know, with the Gentiles there, he would act as the Gentiles, and yet when the Jewish people would come and see what this church was all about, he would go and he would separate from the Gentiles and say, yeah, no, I'm not going to fellowship with you guys anymore, I'm with the Jews and act as the Jews. This is to whom he is writing to. This is not some uh, uh, nobodies. These are people who are Christian. They've been saved. They know better. Uh, John Gregory Mantle, he wrote this, there's a great difference between realizing on the cross he was crucified for me and on the cross I am crucified with him. He says, for the one, on the one hand, there is the deliverance from sin's condemnation, but on the other hand, there's deliverance from sin's power. And so what it means to be crucified with Christ, he's saying that it particularly it has to do with the deliverance from sin's power and being, being underneath that power once again. Someone was pointed out there are seven wonders of God's grace in our text here in Galatians 2.20. And uh, particularly if you come to the end of the verse, you say that he gave himself for me. And what a wonder that is that God would give himself for us every Every Christmas season, we come around to the text in Isaiah chapter 7, I believe it is, where it says that God gave His Son. God gave His Son. Same way when we get over to the gospel message over Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. All of them would point that out. God gave His Son for us. And what a wonder that is. He gave Himself not just for anybody, but He gave Himself for sinners such as you and I. Uh, to understand that the Son of God should love a wretch like me, that was another wonder we find. In, uh, if we back up from, he gave himself for me, but not only did he give himself for me, but he loved me. Loved the unlovable, loved those who were enemies of the, of the cross, enemies of God. Loved us so much that he gave himself for us. And then at the beginning of the text, we find that the Son of God should be crucified, the holy uh, son of God who did no wrong. There was no guile in his mouth. When he reviled, he reviled not again. But yet he was the one who was crucified when we were the ones who deserved to be crucified. And he gave his life there with a cross, crucified with Christ. And then the fact that we should be crucified with him. I'm crucified with Christ. Another wonder of grace there. Remember, as you think about through Christian history, Peter, when he was crucified, didn't want to be crucified the same way that Christ was crucified. He told him, he said, if you want to crucify me, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die in the same way that my Savior died. But I'm crucified with Christ. He took our shame. He took our agony. And we didn't have to suffer any of it. And so we see that the life, he says in this, the fifth part of it, the crucified life, that we should still be alive. Nevertheless, I live uh, again, we, we didn't take that agony. We didn't take that pain. We didn't take that shame. He did it for us. And in the life that I now live, I live uh, Christ living in me. 
Christ, let me meet the life of Christ, the Holy Son of God. He is my life. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And then the final thing, that the life of the crucified man should be so transformed that it cannot be the same as it once was. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And we look down all through that, and it points to the fact of something that happened years ago. And Paul is reminding them of the fact that that Christ did come and he did cancel that penalty of sin. He took that penalty away and he freed us from the power of sin and he puts us in a position where we are the children of God. And and why in the world would we go back to that? And I believe that today a lot of Christianity in which we see in the world in which we live, they don't understand what grace is. They think that grace is just something that they that they take for granted. We can just go out and live any way that they want to. They can just live to their own will and to their own ways and their own way of thinking and their own lifestyle. But what we find here, Paul has a much different idea of what grace is. Much different idea. Find over in, I believe it's Titus chapter 2, where he says, uh, teaching us that the grace of God, uh, that uh, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what grace teaches us. Find over in the book of Jude where uh, he's talking about false teachers and false prophets and they were coming in uh, amongst the church there and, and teaching things which should not be. He says that they've turned the grace of our God into, into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can't have a Christianity that denies the Lord Jesus Christ. But they said that's what they're teaching. They're denying that Jesus was God. Jesus was the Savior and denying uh, the fact that he has set us free from all these things. There are many passages in the Bible that teach us that grace uh, is when a man goes from being, being defined by sin underneath its condemnation to being set free from that sin and defined not by sin any longer, but defined by grace and defined by the life of Jesus Christ. We have been conformed to the image of Christ. That's everything that that Christ died for us so that we might be no longer what we used to be, but that we might be into his image, that we might be changed, that we might be transformed. Not so that we can live in the same old life. Uh, again, I go, I was traveling through Phillipsburg and I see people walking around. It seems like uh, they, they, their, their minds are not all there. Uh, and I'm not saying that about everybody, by the way. You know, I'm just the ones that I noticed. All right? I'm sure that there are some who... Who Miss Elkie lives there, okay? Like, yeah, there, there are good people everywhere. But anyway, I'm just saying, just saying, he didn't save us so that we could just keep on living that same old life. He called us not so that we continue to live under the power of sin, but that we would live the Spirit-filled life. The Spirit-filled life. And this is what he'll go in to talk about in Galatians 4, 5, and 6. The Spirit-filled life by which we have power to live for God through the regeneration uh, of the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Christ. Paul says in the book of Romans, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And under grace, a radical change has taken place in the believer's life. A radical change. It's not just a small change. It wasn't just a reformation, but it was a radical change because they are no longer themselves. They have the Christ life. Likely many of us have heard the story of a man who was found stranded on a deserted island. You know, he's uh, there and he's living by himself. They found him there and they saw three buildings and he asked the guy, he says, uh, 
what are all these buildings? Is there anybody else here on the island? And the man says, no. He said, there's nobody else on this island. What are you doing with these three buildings? He says, well, one's my house. He said, well, I understand that. Well, where's, what's the other building? And he says, uh, well, that other building over there, that was, that was my church house. I used to go there. And they said, what happened? He says, well, this other building over here, that's the, the church I'm now going to because uh, that other church has all, all kinds of problems over there. And we've all heard that story, but I can tell you when, when we look at our life, it's almost like that. When we look at that old life, that old house, we say, there's all kinds of problems over there. I'm not going over there anymore. Uh, we want to live over in the, church, in the church house, over the building. And by the way, uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We want to live underneath that power and underneath that, uh, the, the grace of God. We want to live underneath of, of, of God's power upon our lives in a spirit-filled life over here. So, again, the danger that I find throughout much of Christianity today is we really don't understand what grace is. We don't understand what it's like to live the crucified life. Many people, if you would go out and you would ask them, what is the crucified life? They couldn't tell you. They have no idea. So, oh, oh, the crucified life. You mean Christ died on the cross? No, I understand he died on the cross, but do you understand the crucified life? Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Do you understand that you died on the cross too? Every text has it with a context, and we can't just take one, one text and run with it. We've got to put it within its context. And again, I pointed out to the fact that uh, Paul had to withstand Peter to his face because of what he was doing, and he was causing this confusion. He was living with hypocrisy for this period of time. Um, this is the same guy that would stand up at the book of Acts chapter 15, and he would, he would say, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And he would point out when they would come to him, and they say, Well, uh, yeah, I recognize that the, the Gentiles were saved the same way as the Jews, and they received the same Holy Spirit that we've received. And, and so, you know, God's no respecter of persons, and, and why should we put a yoke upon their neck that uh, we, we ourselves couldn't bear? This is what he said back then, but now he seems to be living out not what he's saying. He's not practicing what he's preaching, but he's doing something con contradictory to what he was said back then in Acts 15. It's this issue, again, that Paul has to correct in the book of Galatians. He's trying to live godly in the energy of the flesh, and there are a lot of Christians like that. You're trying to live godly in the energy of the flesh. And they get frustrated and they get upset and they say, why can't I get victory over the sin? And, and, and why do I just seem to uh, be always frustrated with trying to live the Christian life? This is what Paul is trying to correct, is trying to, trying to live for God in the energy of the flesh. You can't do it. You can't do it. But we notice what motivated Peter in verse 12. I want you to look at that with me. Chapter 2, verse 12. Might surprise you being a strong man as Peter. But chapter 2, verse 12 says, For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself. Here it is, fearing them which were of the circumcision. 
You know what he did? He was fearing man. He was fearing man. This fear of man, the Bible tells us over the book of Proverbs, the fear of man bringeth a, a snare. And certainly it did for Peter. This fear of man had brought in confusion. Fear brought confusion into the life of Peter. Verses 13 and 14 bear that out. And it says, And the other Jews dissembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. And when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? See the confusion there. The fear of man brings this confusion uh, in, into the life of the believer. There are a lot of people that's confused. You know, they, they, they get to listening to these radio stations and TV stations. They hear about all the, um, these theologians that seem to know what they're talking about. And they say, well, maybe we should, maybe we need to uh, have this uh, Jewish dietary restrictions. And maybe we do need to go back to worshiping on the Sabbath day, Saturday. Maybe we do need to, uh, you know, do all these things that the Jewish people, and so it brings in all this confusion. Not only does it bring confusion, but it brings conflict. Again, we read verses 16 to 17, but you notice that there's a, a conflict that's going on in those verses. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even when we believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, here it is, and not by the works of the law. There's a conflict that is there. It can't be both. It can't be the works of the law and Christ. It's one or the other. There's the conflict that they got to choose. It's either you were justified by the works of the law, which we understand that you couldn't do. And they point that out in chapter 3 under the Abraham. But he says, you were, you were justified by Christ, by faith in Christ. You see, Peter's attempt to fulfill the requirements of the Mosaic law as a means of salvation that taught him his own inability to meet those demands. You couldn't do it. Those demands couldn't make you righteous. They couldn't make you good enough. They couldn't do anything for you. The law had to be abandoned as a means of salvation. The law brought chains and didn't bring peace. Brought chains. They were bound by the law, bound to do it, and bound to be condemned by it. We see in verse 18 that that's true. If I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, the chains. The word destroy in verse 18 is kataluo. In the Greek, it means to cut free. Uh, the ropes of bondage, those chains of sin were broken under the, uh, the, sunder the moment that we were saved by the grace of God. Uh, again, he points out that the law is like being chained in handcuffs. You, you had to obey every bit of it. You, you couldn't just say, well, you know, I, I can do this one, but I can't do that one. You had to do all of it. And he said, why, why, those, why are those chains that you were set free from, why are you going back and trying to put them back together and try to build them again and try to go back underneath those handcuffs and be trapped once again? So this fear of man brought confusion, it brought conflict, even with the scriptures, it brought chains. Paul doesn't want us to live that way, and he doesn't want Peter to continue that way. Sometimes a person's been chained so long that they get used to it. Sometimes I've, I've wondered it, 
uh, people who have gone through abuse. And you say, why are you still living in a home of abuse? Why, why are you still putting up with that abuse in your life? They've lived with it so long that they think it's normal. It's like an elephant, you know, you put them in a circus, you train them, you've chained them, you've, you, you've kept them uh, captured and caved in. Ca- <laughs> what are the words I'm trying to find? Uh, it's just like, you're like, well, they're, they're circus animals, they're able to come out. Yeah, I, I get that. But if you put them in the wild, they can't, they can't survive. We've got to get rid of those, those chains. That's why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you know, uh, for the person who's been under the law so long is Peter, and he's lived his whole life under the law, sometimes trying to come out from underneath that law is a hard thing to do. He's been in chains so long that trying to escape from them it wasn't an easy thing to do. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, hence there was a tendency to go back under, under the law, not only just for Peter, but for others, I'm sure. And I believe that we can all understand a Jewish person had that struggle. Being set free from under the bondage of the law, however, sometimes we struggle with the Gentile believer. He says, you, you know what? That Jewish law, maybe that was a good idea. And I struggle with that. Why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Paul taught them otherwise. They had a good teacher. They understood what Christ came to do. They understood that the law can never save them. So what about the law appealed to them? Well, they said, well, the Jewish guys are doing it. They were the apostles. Maybe they know something that I don't. Again, I can understand the Jewish guy, but I can't understand the Gentile. All of our flesh, it doesn't matter if it's Jew or Gentile, all of our flesh responds to the law. We enjoy doing something good for God. Isn't that true? I've talked to Lutherans all the time. They said, well, you know, why, why do you continue to do that? So we're doing these good things make me feel good makes us feel good when we think that we're doing something for God, but we understand we can't do anything for God. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. My flesh would rather do something good for God than let Him do something through me. That's sad, because God wants to work through us. Uh, I'm going to preach in Romans 4 tonight, but uh, it was the same thing in the case of Abraham when he talked about uh, where, where God appeared to Abraham and says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. They said, all right, well, you know, I'm, 100, I'm 90 years old. Sarah's 100 years old. I, there's no way to, I, I know what we're going to do. We're going to try this. We're going to try this. I know what we're going to do. We're going to have got a handmaid, Hagar. She could have a son. The works of the flesh is not going to cut it. God said you're going to have a son. It's going to, not going to be through Hagar. It's going to be through Sarah. You need to trust God. You need to apply the faith. Paul says, I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. You've got to put away the law. You've got to put away the law. As long as the law is in place, we cannot live unto God. But now that Christ died for us and settled the penalty of sin and rose from the grave and ascended up on high, now I can live unto God as a saved person. It's no longer serving the law like a master. And that's exactly what it was for the Jewish person. It, 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 it ruled them. You look at the life of the Pharisees, and everywhere you go, they, again, they, they had all these restrictions, all these legalistic ideas. It ruled them. 
Paul says that law is not your master anymore. That law can't tell you what to do. Christ tells you what to do. Christ is your master. Christ loves you. The law condemns you. Paul says, I have a brand new master the moment I receive Christ. And so the person who has this, uh, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. And, you know, it's do, do all kinds of things, mentality. I just got to do this thing and I got to do that thing. The performance mentality doesn't understand, doesn't understand. He's not living under God, but he's living unto himself because he's depending upon his flesh to please God. The person who is trying to attain something that God has already done is a person who doesn't understand what it is to live for God. Christ did it all. Philippians 2, 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God working in you. Do you understand what that means? It's just like Paul says over 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I am what I am by what? The grace of God. And the grace of God was not bestowed upon me in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. But it was the grace of God working in me that was able to do this. It wasn't, wasn't me, but it was God working in me and through me to accomplish his work so that I might be transformed. It wasn't me trying to fix my life. So this is where we come to Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I have been is a perfect tense uh, verb. It just means that uh, something that happened in the past. Christ was crucified over 2,000 years ago, but people were still in being saved by that same blood of Christ from that day all the way until now uh, by, by grace. It's still powerful. It still works. It's still sufficient to save anybody who comes to him. I've been crucified. When, Paul, you, you weren't alive 2,000 years ago. I was crucified in Christ. We're crucified. It's interesting. Again, I won't even try to pronounce this Greek word, but it has, two, it has a preposition with it. A preposition and a verb put together it means with, uh, with him on the cross. This is basically what it's getting across. Crucified with Christ, just as the English says. Um, but the, the idea here is over Matthew chapter, uh, what chapter is it? 20, 26, I believe. Matthew chapter 26, you read through there, and it talks about how the, uh, Christ was crucified with the thieves on the cross. Now, that word that with, same with that we find here, is different in the fact that uh, uh, you know, they, were, they were crucified on their own separate crosses, but this is the same cross, the same cross. That's why it's a, a, the preposition with the, the verb together, with, with Christ. The same cross that he is on, the same blood that he shed, the same life that he gave. His death was my death together. I've been co-crucified with Christ. You say, well, how is that possible? There was only one person on the cross. No, I was with him. And when he died, I died. When Christ was crucified, he's saying, I was on the cross. It was just as if I was on the cross with him. So that old life, that old life is dead. Every time the Resurrection Sunday comes around, we get the image of the cross, don't we? We recognize that it was 
beaten beyond all recognition, his blood, his beard pulled from his face, his, uh, the, the thorn crown on his head was just nailed into his head to so much to the point that it was excruciating, it was painful. We understand that when Jesus died, it's not as some of these uh, faithless, denying, unbelieving, false teachers would say that maybe he, he wasn't fully dead. No, he died. Fully dead. He had to be taken down from that cross. He had to be laid in the grave. The Roman soldiers that came to him, when they put that spear into his side, out came blood and water. I mean, he was fully dead. You put that spear in the side and it punctures where the heart is. When the heart stops beating and the lungs start moving and the brain stops functioning, you're dead. And it's this death that he pictures. Just as Christ physically died, we need to reckon ourselves to be physically dead unto sin. I want you to turn now over to Romans chapter 6. Because this is the same idea that Paul is trying to communicate over the book of Galatians. Uh, Romans chapter 6 is just basically a uh, helpful commentary on what we're dealing with. We'll look at the first five verses. Romans chapter 6, it says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are, what's the word? Dead. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Notice he uses the word dead to sin. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, and therefore were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so that we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, so should we be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It's interesting over and over again that he pictures again the same togetherness on the cross that we have here. Romans 6, 1, he says, Yo, there's no reason to continue in sin because we died to sin. And that's what verse 2 is all about. Uh, the middle word of sin is what? S-I-N, what's the middle letter? I, that's the problem. I has to die. I has to die. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It's been taken out of the equation. Verse 3, know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. I wish that I had like a good illustration for this. Uh, I, was, I was trying to think about if I had a bowl and I had this like red dye or red paint or something like that, and I had a white cloth, and I took that white cloth and I dipped it into the, the, the red paint or the red dye, whatever it is, completely submerged it, what's going to happen to that white cloth? It's going to turn red. It's not going to be white anymore. It's going to be so much together that you can't separate it. It's, you know, you, you can't get it out. I'm sure some of you probably think you, you can, but even if you get some of it out, it's still going to be pink, right? It, but the, the point is, the point is it's completely submerged. It's taken over. It becomes part of the identity. That's the point. Christ's death is part of our identity. 
that, that is together. It can't be separated. This is like sweet tea, right? Everybody likes sweet tea. How many of you like sweet? I like sweet tea. Some of you might not like it. I like sweet tea. You put that sugar in, you get that, that tea nice and warm, and uh, you, you put that sugar in there, and it dissolves in there, and I mean, it tastes fantastic. You cool it down, and I mean, you just you get excited about that thing. That's the life of Christ. Life, but don't shake your head at me. Sweet tea is great. Sweet tea is great. Um, that's, that's what it's picturing there. We are buried with Him by baptism to death, but we're also raised to walk in newness of life. There's, there's something new about us. It's like a bachelor who gets married. You say, well, there's something new about you. I don't see your clothes laying around the house anymore. You, you actually got some real furniture around here. What happened to you? I mean, you, you, you actually got clothes that match. You, you actually show up to work on time. What happened? I got married. Something new about you. We were married with Christ. Christianity is so much better because the newness has some ability with a power to live in such a way to please this God because we have Christ in us. And we don't live like we used to before we would say, why? Because there's a newness to the life, something altogether different. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 5, 17? Uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the word planted together in verse 5 of Romans 6, if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, so should we also in the likeness of his resurrection to plant it together uh, has the idea of just having the same characteristics, growing up together in such a way that it's inseparable. Uh, it's to be co-joined together from, from birth. It's interesting. Think of uh, twins that have been joined together at birth. So, but, you know, it's... It's different than the fact that there's only one person, and that one person is Christ. People see Christ in us. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ are so intertwined with the believer that they're inseparable uh, from one another. That's why Paul says, for to me to live is Christ over, what is it, First Timothy chapter, no, Philippians chapter 1. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Colossians 3, 4 says, Our life is hid with Christ and God. If you then be risen with Christ, your life is hid with Christ and God. The Bible tells us over in John 15, we could do nothing. Without Him, we could do nothing. And so we need Him. If we live without Christ, if we try to do it our own way, we get the result of Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, which is the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh, we know that doesn't please God. But then if we, we are led by the Spirit of God, then, then if the Spirit of God is the one that's calling the shots, if He's the master, if He's the one that's uh, controlling you, then we understand that we have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, joy, faith, uh, temperance, long-suffering, all those fruit of the Spirit. That's what we are supposed to be living. Death with Christ means death of the old man of sin. It means death of self. Death of the law. There's a problem, though. Because Peter kept falling back underneath. Peter was falling underneath the law. And Barnabas was falling underneath the law. And these Galatian people were falling underneath of the law. 
They were trying to do the works of the law through their flesh, and, and, and they couldn't be perfect through the flesh. The Corinthians were carnal. It wasn't just for the Galatians, but the Corinthians and others we can name. And does that mean that Christianity doesn't work? No. It means we got a choice. We got a, we, again, Romans chapter 6, it uses the word knowing over and over again. Uh, know you not that you uh, were crucified with Christ. Know you not this, know you not that. And, and three times in the, in the book of Romans 6, we find the word knowing. There are some things that we can know, but just because we know it doesn't mean that we apply it. We tell our kids things all the time, and it doesn't seem like they're, they're getting the picture, and so you've got to keep reiterating it. Yes, I know you know it, but listen to me. Do it. <laughs> Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth you should not serve sin. And that's the problem. They are trying to serve sin when it's been crucified on the cross. It's one thing to do it. It's another thing to apply it. We understand where the problem lies. It's not with your wife. It's not with your children. It's not with your boss at work. It's not with, uh, it's the person that's looking at yourself in the mirror, okay? That's the problem. I tell my wife sometimes, she says, honey, what's wrong with you? I said, honey, it's not you. So what, what is it? Is it the kids? No, it's not the kids. It's me. I just get frustrated with myself sometimes. It just bothers me. Like, why am I so stupid sometimes? You guys ever, am I the only one to say I'm stupid? But that's the problem. I just give in to my own flesh. Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And we got to make a choice. Is it going to be I who am living? Or is it going to be Christ who's living in me? we got to make that choice. Because you're still alive. There's still motions of sin in this body. That's why Paul says over and over again through Romans chapter 7, he says, I, the things that I want to do, I'm just... I, I try to do it, and it doesn't seem like that I can do it. And, and oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We gotta, we gotta die to self. We gotta let Christ be the the master. We gotta reckon ourselves. This is a, this is an old Southern word that we say. You know, you ask somebody, you wanna you wanna be here tomorrow? I need to bail some hay out. Can you be here? And he says, I, I reckon. You show up tomorrow and you're waiting for the guy. He's like, man, it's time. we got to get this done. Heat of the day is coming. You say, why didn't you show up? I told you today. I told you the time. Well, I don't know. That's not the reckon that he's using here. This, this is a reckon that's facts. <laughs> this is not speaking of a, a hypothetical. This is something that is real. This some, it has foundation to it. You need to reckon yourselves. It's like reckoning a bank account. You know, you're like, I owe so much money. It's like you show up at the store, and you're like, you got this IOU, and as soon as you get your paycheck, you go and pay that bill. You reckoned the account. You settled it. I'm alive through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Stop living in the negative and live in the positive of Christ. He's already settled it. He's already finished it. He's already done. It's already done. So Romans 6, 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You don't have to live 
for sin. You don't have to live for the flesh. You don't have to make dumb decisions. You don't have to do those things. It's when we choose to serve those things. But Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body any longer. Stop it right now. So if you want to be a good disciple for Jesus Christ, you must be careful about who's in control and what you let control you. The book of Galatians deals with sanctification over and over again. I know I'm out of time here, but Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins that we might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. He considers the cross and his aspect towards sanctification. He says, uh, that he delivered us from this present evil world. Galatians pictures our sanctification as the cross standing between me and my past. It's already settled. Sins have already been forgiven. Between me and the world, I don't have to walk according to the course of this world anymore. Between me and myself, I'll end with this. When I joined the military... I used to have all kinds of freedoms until I raised my right hand and said, I, I do. I, I swear, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I signed all that paperwork. It was no longer checking in with a drill sergeant and say, hey, you know, I want to have a vacation this week. Uh, you know, all these things you're telling me to do, I think is just not right. <laughs> uh, you, you're asking me to do too much. Can I get reassigned to a different job? I mean, Uncle Sam's the one that called the shots. I, I raised my hand and I said, I do. After that, Henry Funkhauser was all over. I'm just a soldier. And that's what it is. I'm just a soldier of the cross. I've been nailed there. I, I don't get to come back down. And that's what we got to understand about the crucified life. It's, it's not about uh, what I want. Christ determines the way. It's his will. It's his way. It's what he wants. And we got to say, yes, Lord. You're my Lord. You're my master. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I pray that we'll understand what it is to live the crucified life. Lord, that we wouldn't give in to the motions of sin or this flesh. May you help us to say no to self and yes to the Savior. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.